Welcome to The Stack, a weekly podcast where we discuss the latest in the world of marketing, sales, and tech so that you can cut through all the noise and know which developments you should be paying attention to. Today is Thursday, October 25th, 2018. We're coming to you from Pepperland Marketing in Cheshire, Connecticut. I'm Sean Henry. That was a really fast intro. I'm Ryan Sylvester. And I'm Tim Staberski. <laughs> I wanted the, the the pause there was because I wanted to let Ryan go second for once because I always go second. Yeah. You kind of teed up your name as though there was going to be like an immediate follow-up. I did, but I, I wanted it to go to Ryan first. So so I like speaking at time and a half because that's how I listen to podcasts, time and a half. Why should I force people to listen to me <laughs> at normal speed? But you do realize that if there is someone like you listening to the podcast at time and a half, you're going to be like, what, two? I don't, don't make me do math times three. That's a good point. Or 2.75. So I don't I'm making people's lives even more efficient that way, which is just great. I would never <laughs> listen to a podcast at 1.5. <laughs> well, thanks for tuning in. We've got a lot of good good stuff to go through this week. Um, and uh, I guess we'll get started. We going well, guys? Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I say this every week, but I'm sad and scared that it's already Thursday. I feel like this week was, unless they just blend it together, I feel like last week was way more busy, but I could It was. Yeah. yeah. We had a very busy week. But we crushed it, though. Last week, we had a lot of... A lot of big things going on, some events too, so Crushed sort it. of back to normal, right? You know. And we're almost at the end of the year. Thanks, Sean. Soon we'll be reflecting upon the successes Shh. and failures of 2018. Sean likes to fill me with ex- existential dread. Um, <laughs> it's just what he does. What are you dreading, Tim? The passage of time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, why don't we dive right in? Sure, sure. So yeah, we'll kind of recap the news this week, but interesting point now that we are getting towards the end of the year, we should probably start talking about goal setting and thinking about the year ahead in some upcoming episodes. So maybe you'll see a theme there. Um, but this week, who wants to who wants to take us through the first article? I'll, I'll jump in. Um, so one article that I saw that really caught my attention this week was, uh, it's called How to Successfully Pitch the New York Times or, well, anyone else. Uh, by Tim Herrera for the Neiman Journalism Lab. Um, and the what this article is talking about is it's it's a the audience for this article is freelance writers, people who are regularly pitching stories to editors of different websites or magazines. you know that's how they make their money. Um, NPR professionals, yeah, yeah, whoever it might be. Yep. And the way that the, what, what they say in the article is freelancing is tough. It can be an unpredictable, unreliable grind. And sometimes things fall through, even if you've done everything right. Before we go on, it's worth remembering a bad pitch is not the same thing as a bad story idea. Pitches get turned down for countless reasons. You pitched the wrong outlet, the wrong editor, your idea wasn't fully fleshed out. The timing wasn't right, etc. Um, And especially as news outlets are evolving in their approaches to digital storytelling, publications are increasingly open to non-traditional storytelling structures. But most bad pitches are bad for the same few reasons, and they're often salvageable with some tweaking. Um, They they go on to discuss some of the common reasons that um, freelancing ideas or pitches are turned down, um, which include, you know, the, the key ones they touch on include you don't know what your story actually is. You didn't check the archives to see if it was something that was published in the past. Um, You pitched the wrong editor or section. You're too aggressive with following up. Your story is too low stakes or narrow. And you don't disclose conflicts of interest. 
You may be wondering why we're talking about freelancers. Sean, you wanted to you wanted to say <laughs> yeah, something. I feel, like, I feel like Tim's reading an audiobook or yeah, something. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you might be wondering why we're talking about yeah. um, so much about it was so structured. freelancers. Yeah, yeah. Hey, he I'm was smart. loving it. Welcome, children. I'm a structured dude. That's why all my relationships <laughs> fail. <laughs> no, I mean, there's a really, really interesting article. Um, so, yeah. And the reason that we're, we, you know, the, the article is talking to freelancers about how they can make their job easier and more likely to succeed. But the same principles um, carry through to marketers and to companies who rely on different marketing tactics, um, especially when you're talking about things like pitching guest post ideas or um, if you're actively engaged in link building or if you're just trying to develop relationships with different people, um, the same problems that freelancers face can be problems that you face. Yeah. We get, we get pitches all the time as our, our traffic grows. We're finding more and more people are, are coming to us trying to pitch guest posts, links, you know, you name it. I just got one the other day and yeah. it was a link build outreach and they said, Hey Ryan, here's your article. We loved, we loved it. It was the wrong article, but I was thrilled to have a, there was like a Mariah Carey gif in the email. Oh, that's fun. And it was awesome. And I laughed and I actually emailed them back. I was like, Hey, this is the wrong post, but I love your email. So, yeah. I mean, so like that, so let's assume they get past the uh, hurdle of, you know, actually stating accurate information. <laughs> yeah. <referencing the> <laughs> yeah. But still the, the big thing I think everybody misses is, well, why, why would anybody care? Yep. You know, why? So we have an audience, right? We have people listening to our content, reading our content. Right. If we were to feature somebody else's stuff, um, there has to be a good reason. You know, we have to be thinking about what our, our prospects, what right. our readers, what our subscribers want. And Cause we get it. We them. do the same thing. Like if, if it really, if it's going to add the value, like okay, yeah. maybe, but yeah. at the same time, like, but nobody, nobody thinks about it. Nobody thinks about the angle or yeah. what the, what the story actually is, which is one of their points. They yep. say, know your story. Mm. Um, what is the story? What's the, the interesting angle or, or takeaway that people are going to have? Yeah. They, so one of the, one of the things they, they dive into regarding that is um, a lot of times people will pitch just like, a topic. Yep. And it's like, okay, yeah, I'd love for you to, I'm glad you're passionate about marketing, but what's the, yeah, <laughs> what's the actual yeah. story that you want mm. um, to run past us? You know, if, without, without some scope, they're not going to agree to anything. Yeah. Well, they actually include an example, yeah. right. Of what somebody that they thought did a really good job at it. And it, it almost reads like a, a movie trailer. So they're not even saying, Hey, I'm going to write about this topic. They, they start to tell the story, give you a taste of, where it's going to bring you. And, uh, I think that really works well. And I mean, I'm, I've been a freelancer in the past. I still do on occasion. Um, the pitches of mine that do the best are the ones where I more or less kind of outline the entire article yeah. in the pitch. The more detail you can include, yeah. the more of the angle, the better. So definitely go check it out. I'm going to take it a step further. Okay. Cause I'm crazy. And, um, <laughs> Even if you don't plan on pitching people, it's still a good exercise to do. So we, I think we, I'm losing my voice. Sorry. I think on an earlier episode, we talked about this Amazon. I don't know if they still do this, but at least one point in time or, or so it's been said in various business books and such. They write a, um, they have a requirement where you have to write a press release before you actually kick off a project and develop something new. You have to have a vision of how it's going to be mm -hmm. announced to the world. And yeah. if you can't do that and come up with something people are going to be excited about, you can't start the project. It doesn't get developed. 
So if you think about it, like, well, how would I pitch this new blog post? I'm going to spend the next four to eight hours writing. If you start with that and you have a compelling pitch before you write the content, you know, you've got a good angle, a good story to write. It's a fun little tactic. It also keeps the quality up, I think. Totally big time. Yeah. We would like to announce being published in 2019 content as a product by Sean Henry. (laughs) 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 Um, But no, great, great, uh, great article. Thanks, Tim. Um, The other one that we saw that we liked, I know you guys read this as well, was uh, social media is a symptom, not a tactic. And that's by Seth Godin on Seth's blog. I think his website is Seth.blog. I think so, uh, yeah. Which is fun. Seth.blog. Seth.blog. Yeah, he's one of my favorite authors of all time. (laughs) He, um, so Seth Godin, for those who don't know, has some pretty phenomenal uh, marketing books. Definitely recommend checking them out. Purple Cow. I can't remember the other names of the, the books that he's written through the years, but they're all good. So check them out. Go on Amazon. Yeah. Um, but he, I found him a long time ago by stumbling across some of his blog posts and he was one of the very first blogs that I, I read and I subscribed to. And, uh, it's been a while since I've, I've been to a site, but saw this one being shared on Twitter, um, checked it out and it, it really resonated with me. He's, um, he's kind of getting at the way we think about social media and everybody gets hung hung up about uh, social media as a tactic, and uh, he's saying you're you're kind of thinking about it all wrong. He says when your ideas are spreading, when your work is remarkable, when your organization has built a social ratchet that works, one of the side effects will be significant social media presence. People will talk about you in ways they like to talk online. On the other hand, if you spend all your time beginning at the end grooming your social network, tweezing your Insta posts, hyping your tweets, nothing's going to happen. He's basically saying like we're putting all the focus on the the wrong thing, you know, focus on being awesome, focus on doing remarkable work, you know, thrilling your customers, doing these amazing things and social media is going to work for you. Right. Well, I mean, it it only makes sense. Well, first of all, I have to say, I love the phrase tweezing your Insta (laughs) posts, just like the best (laughs) visual. Um, But it makes sense because generally speaking, your social followers are people who know you. Yeah. They're people who already are aware of your brand. Right. If they know you and you're using social media for, to spread your content, that's good. You know, that's getting people that are already your audience, but it's not like going to vastly increase your range. Well, it goes back to something you said on an earlier podcast. It's like if you if you have if you have people that know you and are, you know, looking out for your stuff and you're making that good content, naturally it's going to get yeah. shared over social media. Um, my favorite part of this quick little article is the simple proof of this is, is that brands with 10 or 20 times the social media impact almost never have 10 or 20 times as many people working as social media specialists. It's true. Which is true. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, That's the, not to say that like having skills and expertise oh, no, there's definitely is a like bad a, thing. Yeah. There's definitely, um, an area where that, that is, you know, you need people to go in and manage it once you have that huge following. Um, but my, my favorite, my other favorite line is the Mona Lisa has a huge social media presence. Her picture is everywhere, but she doesn't tweet. (laughs) So yeah, it's a good little metaphor. Good stuff. Good stuff. What else do we got guys? So let's switch gears away from, I guess the good to the bad, right? (laughs) Yeah. So another article that caught my eye, I'm very focused on the New York Times today, um, was this thermometer tells your temperature, then tells firms where to advertise. And it was written by Sapna Maheshwari. 
Nice. For the New York Times. Um, and what the article is talking about is this um, thermometer product, which I'll just quote them on how it works. This, <laughs> sorry, this flu season, Clorox <laughs> paid to license information from Kinza, a tech startup that sells internet connected thermometers that are a far cry from the kind once made with mercury and glass. The thermometers sync up with a smartphone app that allows consumers to track their fevers and symptoms, making it especially attractive to parents of young children. The data showed Clorox, which zip codes around the country had increases in fevers. The company then directed more ads to those areas, assuming that households there may be in the market for products like disinfectant, disinfecting wipes. Me personally, super skeeved out by this. <laughs> well, I think the the reason that this caught attention and what you don't see, unfortunately, as you listen to us, is the, the visual of the product. It's something that is, you know, parents are buying it for yeah. kids, you know, to take their kids' temperature, right? So I don't know. Um, the second you know that your child's illness or even your own illness is being used as a a data mining point, you know, for marketers like myself to, to target. Um, it's just dirty. Yeah. Let's leave yeah. the kids out of it. Right. Well, it's, it's, and it's, it's a, it's a, a part of it for sure too, is the fact that, you know, of, of course, when you, when you buy the thermometer and you opt into the, the app, like you're, I'm doing air quotes here. You're agreeing to share the information. You're agreeing to share your data, but you don't really understand like that. This is, like this is the real product, yeah, right? Like the data is the product. Yeah. It's not, it's nothing that, I mean, we're yeah. having data collected in so many countless ways. We opt into this stuff every single day. Just picking up your phone. Exactly. So it's, it's nothing um, terribly unusual. It just, it, it kind of makes you think about it a little bit more um, because it, it is sort of a personal thing. Well, and I wonder, I wonder, I, and I don't know this because I didn't buy one, but I wonder how um, upfront they are about the fact that they're using this data like this. Yeah. If they're, if it is, um, if, I'm trying to think, if they're transparent, if they are transparent about how they use the information, I feel less dirty about it than if it's just this sneaky, you think you're buying a product that's going to help you and your family without realizing that it's ultimately so the only way to really be transparent and the way where people aren't going to be bothered once they actually think about what that means is if somebody jumped out of the box before you took the thermometer and brought it to your kid and grabbed you by the arm and said, just so you know, this is what we're going to do with this. That's the only thing that would count because it doesn't matter. You could put it in like big labels on the box. Nobody's going to stop and think and read about it. They just want to open the box quick, read the, you know, get the, the shiny product out of the box and, Put it to put it to action. I Watch like, screaming alpacas. What do you think, I have like being on the outskirts of eventually having children. Like yeah. I would never, ever, ever, ever buy this product. But like, there's so many connected devices now. Like, in, yeah, in but my how home. much? In, <laughs> or, oh, I won't. I won't either. Like now that I'm thinking about it. But but I, you know, you you say it all the time. Like, ah, oh, we're all getting tracked. Like it, it is true. Like, but. I don't care about like personalization ads on my phone. Like yeah. if they're tracking me with the maps, like that yeah. stuff doesn't bother me as much, but like, I, I don't know. I also live with a nurse. So it's connected like, toothbrushes. Yeah. There's, like, um, there's all sorts of things. Um, well, wait, what? There are. Yeah. There's really? smart, smart toothbrushes. Do you have some? No. Oh, okay. Well, I also, it, it, smart pillows, smart toilets. It worries me. I want a smart toilet. A smart pillow. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, it worries me a little bit too when we're talking about connected medical devices because there's always the thought like what if that information somehow gets hacked and well, leaked, will. And leaked yeah, evidently, to yeah. eventually say an insurance provider right. who somehow is able to tie it back to you and they realize before you even know that oh you have lymphoma you know how they'll get you them they'll give you a discount on your insurance <laughs> they'll sell you the thermometer and say hey if you sign up for this and you whatever there you go. There's cheap fun. Insurance. Fun fact about Ryan that I learned today: he does not believe in coupons. I don't believe in coupons, and I really don't believe in doctors. <laughs> oh boy! All right, we won't get into it. But yeah, that's a. <laughs> Anyways, um, so here's a, a company, a, a pretty well-known company, kind of. Re- so the, the reason this art, the previous article about the thermometer is interesting, is because it's just another example of how there's this heightened sensitivity about how our mm-hmm. data is being used. I think it's very much top of people's minds right now and there's like the beginnings of a backlash or potential beginnings of a backlash against it and it'll just be interesting to see how that continues to evolve in the months years ahead but here's google kind of i think doing a, a smart strategic play to make something out of nothing and is that a startup startup yeah go yeah you know they're, they're going to be big someday <laughs> oh yeah. i haven't heard of them yeah. oh, I, maybe i should invest um, but they, they took something that's been there for a very long time and let's and they say, hey, let's slap a press release on it and maybe move the location and spin it into a good thing. That's my cynical take of this. <laughs> they say, make it easier to control your data directly in Google products. And Tim, you actually came across this one, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, so it, it, it's, um, it's pretty straightforward. The way, the, the way that it works is directly. So Google's always allowed you to, um, edit your search history and your, and the date, you know, your data. Um, you could choose to, to opt in and out and delete stuff. Um, but they've moved the, they've moved, they've changed how you can access it. So it's accessible straight from, um, search as long as you're logged into your Google profile. I, I will say it is, has been a little tricky getting to it because I've, I've turned it yeah. on and turned it off before and no. it, it could be, it could be hard. Well, it, yeah. And I understand in the past, like, hide that stuff because you do want you know they, they want the opacity to be a deterrent from people opting out that's how they make their money they want the data they don't want you to delete it or or, or remove it um so i understand why in the past it was like that but it, i do commend them for making it easier even yeah. if it is just a pr stunt what i will say is, is that this is in direct um opposition to the way that Facebook handled their data issue mm-hmm. last year, where instead of making it really easy for people to opt in and out of their data collection, they just told people this really complicated process to go through <laughs> if they wanted to opt out, which a lot of people still chose to do. But a lot of people like me got halfway through and just gave up because I don't have time for that. Yeah. Here's what you do. You download your Facebook data and then you delete the app. <laughs> That's how you do it. So, I mean, I think that this is really smart on Google's part, um, just in terms of um, elevating their brand. It is smart. It is smart. But then again, as we speak, there's more breaking news about Google covering up certain things, certain executives getting left escorted from the company for various things. Like literally breaking right now? Yeah, within the past hour. Oh, cool. So, oh, sweet. A little bit of good, a little bit of bad with Google. Um, I was just going to talk about how much I respect Google and all this stuff, but fun times. So they're taking, I think, I think, <laughs> I don't know if this is true. I'm totally speculating. But <laughs> I feel like they, they, they have like an equal volume of bad news kind of 
ready to come out and that as Facebook does. And they're like, all right, let's just let it all kind of trickle out four to five weeks after Facebook so we could see what they do right, what they do wrong, learn from their mistakes, and then we'll handle the PR side yeah, of it. Because they quietly just kind of they put yeah. Google Plus on the table and said, Okay, let's just all look at this real quietly. <laughs> um but yeah, so speaking of Facebook. Uh, and all this like ad stuff and, and, you know, it kind of ties back into the thermometer thing. So, um, ad archive report came out from the Facebook team and, uh, it's a searchable database and it includes ads, ads related to politics and issues of like national importance that have run on Facebook or Instagram. And I looked at it, uh, this morning, Sean looked at it yesterday and I was flabbergasted. I love that word, (laughs) um, of the amount of money being spent. And politics, yeah. On politics, yeah. So it's, I, I don't know. I, I, You know me, like I, I get as much politics as you guys, uh, yeah. you know, talk about it. But So, you know, we're, we're talking about all these um, <clears throat> ways that, you know, Facebook and the different networks are able to collect data now and create very rich targeted profiles of different audiences and segment and so on. These are the people taking advantage of that. So, um, you know, Facebook got a lot of heat with the last major presidential election about not being transparent enough about who these advertisers were, who was behind it, how much money they were spending. So they've, I mean, I give them credit. Like this is a very transparent view as to who is spending money. Um, Even down to the local level, you can see who is uh, running ads in your town, what ads they're running and so on. Top spending for the week, $500,000. A lot of money. At the same time, um, a part of me wonders, I, I'm very cynical today, uh, but a part That's of me wonders, <laughs> a part of me wonders what, um, you know, yes, they're being transparent, but are they being, are they being overly transparent in the hopes of um, sort of, you know, drowning you in paperwork, drowning you in data, um, making it a little bit harder to, uh, so you think it's an overcorrection? I Not an overcorrection, but like it. it's sim- I'm just saying, like you know how sometimes if you're a if you're a lawyer and you're requesting certain documents from the person you're prosecuting, and instead of sending you the five you're requesting, they send you fifteen thousand pages. I don't know. No, I'm just. I don't know. It's just, I don't see that. I actually, I think they've they've. This again is probably mostly like a crisis communication PR play, where you know they're they're trying to turn around the perception that they aren't transparent and that, you know, they're not a force for good. Say, I, I don't disagree with you. I just, yeah. I take everything with a grain of salt. Yeah. But I, it is, it is, it is very transparent. I actually find it very easy to use now where I am deeply disturbed by this. I, I spent some time looking through the ads by some of these top advertisers. And just to give you a feel for who's on here, uh, number one advertiser right now is, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but oh, or, yeah. I think it's uh, Beto. Yeah. Beto, Beto, Beto. Beto O'Rourke. He's, you know, running for you know, senators in, in uh, Texas. And he spent a uh, um, little over 5 million uh, since May. Just behind him is uh, Donald Trump uh, spending over 3 million. But then there's several other groups that are supporting Donald Trump. So collectively, he's spent about $10 million on Facebook ads somewhere in that ballpark. Don't quote me on that. Um, but there's also these kind of special interest groups who are creating ads around these wedge issues, like very controversial things that makes people very angry. Um, and what I'm disturbed about is as you look at those, most of them are, they're written as they are people spreading rumors. Yeah. 
they're not based in fact. Like they are are taking things that people are going to misinterpret, half read, and, you know, share with some angry comment on Facebook. It's fueling anger. It's fueling that divide, I think, that everybody sees right now. And it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. And it's, you know, people are going to... Yeah, we, we don't want to get political. People are going to say, oh, it's the conservatives or, oh, it's the left. It's like, honestly, it's evenly split. Yeah, there there are groups. people on both sides taking yep. advantage. This is this is just clearly like people taking advantage of our worst inclinations. Yeah. And I mean, these groups exist for that reason. I wish these groups didn't exist. Um, but I also think it's up to Facebook to tighten their policy as to what types mm-hmm. of content they accept money from. I mean, they are making massive amounts of money um, by people using their platform to divide people. I mean, the the easy solution here for, for Facebook, and they're not going to do it, um, would just simply be to say that they're not going to run politically motivated ads. Yeah, yeah. Or I don't right, know if it's like opinion out, versus you know, millions fact. and millions yeah, of right, dollars. Yeah. Like if, if they were really worried about the impact that these ads were having on the discourse in the country, then they right. would just stop accepting it. Yeah, but th- this is kind of the dark side of marketing, I think. Um, and, and advertising and it's, it's upsetting to be, uh, see, but would definitely encourage you if you're listening to it's facebook.com slash ad slash archive. I don't know if you have to we'll, also tap, we'll tap put it in the show notes, we'll put it in the show notes, but take some time to actually look yeah. at the ads and think about the messaging and I wish what it, the goal of that ad is. I wish it broke it down by region, like location and, and such yeah. and age group and, and all that stuff. But you can't, what is neat, you can like look at ads that are about people in your town too, mm. which is really interesting to see. Gotcha. Um, little good tool for competitive intelligence if right. you want. Um, so kind Ooh. of playing off that, taking advantage of, you know, what we perceive and, and what is uh, actually true and, and age groups and, and all that stuff is there's this article that comes from the Pew Research Center by Jeffrey. And, uh, <laughs> its title is, uh, young Americans are better than old Americans at telling factual news statements from opinions. So it says in a survey conducted in February 22nd to March 4th, 2018 center asked us adults to categorize five factual statements and five opinion statements. As a previous report revealed about a quarter of Americans overall could accurately classify all five factual statements. That's 26%. And about a third could classify all five opinion statements, 35%. Now, I have been around the, quote, older adults in America, and I think this is completely true. <laughs> I have... Well, s- so that's everyone. Right. Like, the, those numbers Oh, okay, are, okay. Yeah. Oh, so, oh, the, the about a third. So, about a third of 18 to, tw- uh, to, 18 to 49-year-olds, 32%, correctly identified all five of the factual statements as factual compared with 2 in 10 among those ages 50 and older. So that's the split right there. Um, A similar pattern emerges for the opinion statements. Among 18 to 49-year-olds, 44% correctly identified all five opinion statements as opinions compared to the 26 among those ages 50 and older. So... It's uh, so like, it's funny, not, it's interesting because reading this uh, article, I, I flashed back to like second grade. Um, the lesson I remember, far? I, I can very distinctly remember the lesson, um, in school where we're learning about fact and opinion and you know, what makes right. what, what, <laughs> um, and it, it's just, it's interesting, you know, to think maybe everyone should have to go back and have a similar class again. <laughs> I don't know. There's a, you could, you could 
answer the questions yourself. They turned it into like a quiz and, you know, see how you compare to the rest of the, oh, I didn't see that. The population. That. So it's a good thing to test. And I mean, I, I, I would encourage you to, to try it for yourself and challenge yourself to, I really hope I'm not a hypocrite. Should, <laughs> should we all take the test? And I would, yeah, I, I, I passed flawlessly just oh, for the record. Yep. Um, but I, I have a theory. I think that, you know, as there, it's not, it's not, it's not an age thing. I think just one group has been more hardened in their tribal views, wherever they fall on the political spectrum. And so if there's an opinion statement, which many of these are that aligns to one ideology or, or somewhere on the political spectrum, and you happen to be older, your views are likely more hardened you know, through the years. And so you start to accept those views as fact versus fiction, even if it's just opinion. So that's my theory. I don't think it's anything mm. other than that. Okay. And we train people to, uh, we reinforce our own beliefs. And over time, it's hard to reverse that. Well, it just goes to show how uh, swayed people can get, especially, yeah. you know, like, okay, you come from a reputable source. Yeah. And uh, thanks it's, Facebook. It's all yeah. Facebook's fault. It's, uh, you know, it's yeah. some obvious uh, baloney, but you know what? People still, I, I, <laughs> I I've witnessed it firsthand a, a lot. So, All right. Uh, we don't have a lightning round this week. We don't. We, we, I'm going we to try uh, coming up with one on the fly here, and we'll make it real fast. Okay. Um, While Sean does that, when you said that you could see how easily people could be swayed, I wanted to say not velveted. Oh, God. <laughs> Super punny. I'm sorry. I had to. Advertisers shifting budget from search to Amazon. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if you're a... Sean if just you, If you sell a product, like a good, I could understand why you might be tempted to try advertising on Amazon versus Google. There's, I think, some pretty strong evidence that there's still far more product searches on Google than there is on Amazon. N there is, or there are. Another thing that I saw in the news is that Apple is launching a TV service, hmm. like cable. Mm, not going to do it, but YouTube did the same thing. Yeah. yeah. I wonder, I don't, I have no idea how they're doing with it either. I wish I knew. I'm going to Google how's YouTube live. Hubble doing? captures the ghost of Cassiopeia. Okay. <laughs> I, <laughs> I thought you were, I thought you were going to keep talking. I didn't know I that. Was, no, it's lightning round. Headlines mm -hmm. only. Um, oh, this is a fun one. This is totally something I would be all about. And I'm so glad somebody caught it. Hi, Alicia Silverstone. Your entire website is blocked from Google. Here's how to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I found several websites that were blocked by uh, Google today. Big, big companies. It's just crazy how people don't realize that's going on. I love huh. it. That's great. Smart of them to do. I should have done that. <laughs> oh, this one. I All right. I'll just read it. Your blog is not a publication. Cool. What? It should be. You should be thinking about it as a publication and treating it as a publication. So I don't, I'm going to read that one because I don't know. Real, controversy. Uh, yeah, controversy. All right. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. We'll be back next Friday. Would love it if you left us a review, mm. comments. Mm -hmm. Maybe send up, send us like some, and share, uh, and we will not like and track share. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We won't track your fever data. We won't track you, and we'll send you a mug. That's true. You can listen to us anonymously. 
which is kind of neat. But we would love to know who you are anyway. So. Yeah, you should download it. That way we can uh, look at our metrics. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.